Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for Lowell Assembly's online services. I hope you enjoy everything that's presented to you today. My name's Pastor Dylan. If you miss any portion of this service and you want to catch it again, you can do so by searching Lowell Assembly of God on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by going to lowellag.org. Enjoy the service. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Lord God. Thank you for being with us here today, Lord God. I thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to come together, Lord God, to learn about you and to spend time as one body. Lord God, we give you this service, we give you this worship, and in your name, amen. Amen.
Thank you, Jesus. God, we worship you in this place today, God. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus, God. God, we lift your name in this place. God, we lift your name in this place. God, I pray that you have your hand over today's sermon. God, I pray that you have your hand over today, Jesus. Today is for you, and we only do what we do for you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hello, Lowell Assembly, Northeast Christian Church. My name is Pastor Kevin, and these are your weekly announcements. If this is your first time visiting, we're glad you chose us. Could have been anywhere else, but came here. Remember to fill out a card found in the seat back in front of you. And for our online guests, you could use the website on the screen. After service, be sure to head to our welcome center where you can exchange that card for a mug filled with treats and helpful info. This is a part of something we call Take Three. We believe if you take three weeks to visit us, Lowell Assembly of God Northeast Christian Church will be your new church home. Plus, with each week you visit us, you will get a gift. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Our next Serve Our City outreach is on Sunday, August the 15th. This is where we go into Lowell and serve those in need. Volunteers can meet in the church lobby at 1215. If you can't come to the outreach but would love to help in any way, our prep team will be setting up Tuesday, August 10th at 6.30 here at the church. Come join us and make a difference in lives. Northeast Christian Church will be having a two-in-one couples event on Saturday, August the 28th. We will be joined by Married for Life leaders, Tony and Susan Palo, who will be taking us through how to grow in your relationship with your partner. After the seminar, We'll gather together in historic Boston Harbor for a sailing tour along the coast. If you've missed any of these announcements or just want some more information, be sure to email us at lowellag.org. Enjoy the rest of the service. Being with you, with us, Lord. Uh, my name is Adam Provost, super excited to be here. We're going to move into the next phase of our service. Uh, really, it's just another way of worshiping, uh, and that's going to be with our giving. Um, without you, none of this would be possible, right? God empowers leaders. Your tithing, your investment in our community is pushing us forward, and we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for the, uh, the change that you're having, both near and far. Um, all you have to do is look at the back wall and see the investment that we're making in furthering the kingdom uh, and bringing the, the gospel of Jesus all over the globe. Uh, our verse today comes from Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are just continuing to give and give and give to us, Lord God. We're so unworthy. We're just so thankful, Lord God, for this group of people that you've chosen to bless us, Lord God, that we get to be here today. We don't have to be here. We get to be here. And we just pray, Lord God, every dollar that's invested in here, Lord God, we pray that you would tenfold, a hundredfold. You have a plan that we can't even fathom. You have a vision for this church, Lord God. You have a plan 
for everything that you're going to do. And we pray, Lord God, that this community, Lord God, you would use us in a mighty way. You would use these tithes and offerings, Lord God. We pray for the word, a mighty word that's going to be spoken today, Lord God. We just pray that you would give everyone here open ears to listen. God, pray that we would just soften our hearts. Help us to be ready for what you have for us. In your name, amen. We do have drop boxes on the left and the right. Um, if you text LOLAG to 77977, or if you're online, you can click the Give button. And we're just so thankful for you for being here today. Can we give Jesus a thunderous applause? He's here. We're here for him. He loves you. He is for you. He's not against you. And... I've come to find the truth through just many people who've spoken into my life is, is that you can't wait for joy. You have to choose it. You have to choose it. Let's do it one more time to just give him joy and praise. I used to always encourage myself on my worst days. I said, I'm not going to be separated from God for all eternity in hell. I have the Savior of the world in my life, and any day that is bad on earth is actually a good day, and one day all of my problems will go away because I'm going to be with Jesus, and you're going to be with Jesus. He's for you. He's not against you. He came to help solve your sin problem, not scowl at you for it, and we are grateful that in our church we believe in four things, to know God, find freedom freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and worship. Let me just tell you what you're giving to. Those of you joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. Those of you here in person, it's so nice watching the house begin to just slowly fill up. It's like when that coffee pot's brewing, but it's not ready for that cup yet. I'm just excited. But, but let me tell you what we give to and why we do what we do in this church and what we're all about. Uh, about uh, four years ago, three years ago, I, we, were, we decided to bring in a color guard and just bring in the flags to honor our veterans. And while we were doing that, uh, I was talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I said, uh, we, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And this, this color guard that was with the, the military that came in ran up on the platform, and he's like, I know the Lord's Prayer. I know the Lord's Prayer. He's got a really thick Boston accent. He's like, I know that prayer. I know that prayer. And, and so I'm like, okay, and I hand him the mic. You know, I'm just flowing with it. And he goes, uh, R. And he goes, blank. And I'm like, I'm bailing my, this guy out. He's brave enough to come up here. I go, our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be name. And we go back and forth, and, 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 and he just kind of walks down, you know, a little bit feeling defeated because the very thing he was excited about he couldn't do. And I was like, oh, my goodness, the things that God can do with somebody who's willing to say, on your mark, go get set, right? The more we became involved in his life and the more that time that Pastor Dylan spent with him, we came to realize that actually his life problem was surrounded by a meth problem. And his, his whole household, there was a meth problem. And, and we went downtown to visit him. We went downtown to have coffee with him. And when I'm there, I walk outside and somebody comes up to him and goes, yo, you got my money? 
And so now I look at him and I look at them and I'm like, all right, great. I said, this is, now we're going to get in a fight over this, but I, you know, we, hey. And the, guy, the guys are like, hey, my problem's not with you, it's not with him. I said, he's with me, he's under my protection, and I'm sitting here talking about Christ with him, and you're coming in talking about crashing his head. I go, it's, it's, it's two on three now, so, so we're going to have to work this out. And then he's like, no, 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 pastor, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And finally, he talks them down, they walk away, because I'm not going to sit there and let somebody get beat up, right? I'm going to believe that the power of Samson's coming on your pastor. So, so I just, I, I, I was standing up for what was right. And I, I was in that position. I couldn't do it. And then, you know, finally we continue and we spend more time with him and we realize that home is the last place he needs to be. And pastor Dylan says, what if, wouldn't it be something if you went to a program that would change your life? And he went to teen challenge, which we support. They'll be here coming up in October. He goes off to Teen Challenge. While he's in Teen Challenge, he joins and he starts working for Teen Challenge. And he's in there and we're constantly talking with him. We say, you're not allowed to say yes to anything without talking to us because we are your pastors and we have a long-term plan for your life. This is your family. And back and forth and back and forth. And now I am proud to tell you, he is not only saved, he is not only sanctified, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He is in ministry. He is preparing in Bible college distant education with with um, Liberty University and just came with us on a conference this past week about grow and our church growing and he is growing in his life. It wouldn't surprise me if one day he comes back here and becomes a part of this staff. You want to know what we're giving to. You want to know what we're, we're giving to. We're giving to situations here in our backyard and around the world that are pulling people off of Appleton Street, yanking them out of prostitution, yanking them out of drug addiction. We're putting people who are in nice homes, whose marriages and homes are falling back, putting them together with ministries like counseling. We're helping people know God and find freedom. And you never find freedom alone. Forgiveness you find this way. Freedom we find that way. And we find it together so that you can know God and discover your purpose and make a difference. The most powerful thing in your life that could come alive is, is when you realize there's no fingerprint the same, there's no snowflake alike, there's no one like you. God, you are not, listen, you are not defective. You're designed. You're not an accident. There may be accidental parents, but there are never accidental births. You're here with a purpose, and God has that reason for you. And the reason I'm wearing this shirt today is because my wonderful friends, Ama and Echo Mba'a, uh, gifted me, I was helping them with their basement, fixing something, and gifted me with a Ghanan suit. This is a suit. Come on, say, you look good, Pastor. Yeah, this is. So, and then we're having a cookout at my house today with a couple of our friends who happen to be from Ghana, two families, and then uh, also Marcel and Vivian, our a couple of our board members, and we are having a Ghanan dance-off. We're going to do Dance Dance Revolution to Ghanan music. So, I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, I might start to dance and they'll say, Pastor, maybe you shouldn't. Um, but we are making a difference. We are making a difference. And uh, we want to help you. If I could say it this way, the speakers that we bring in, the prayers that we pray, all of these things are so that you can experience God's best for your life. And uh, Pastor Mike, Dr. Caparelli, 
uh, came to Christ right in my early years in ministry uh, under the mentor that we both share, Pat Manzo, who's the director of Teen Challenge New England and New Jersey. Uh, we ha share the same circle of friends like Scott Axman and others who were on staff there. And we spent time together. We did life together. And just like everything, there are some friends that are in your life for a period of time. And then you get the blessing where they come back in your life. So when I have a challenge I can't figure out, when I've got a problem and I've got sorrows I need to divide when I have joys I want multiplied I do lunch with him and we we go out and uh, it's in the beginning stages but I'm looking forward to some of the great things I got the privilege of hearing him speak at the National Teen Challenge Conference they had close to a thousand directors that's different than just people that went through Teen Challenge directors co-directors uh, the key people as he shared some of the things that we're looking at here if you were if you missed last week you need to watch it if you're here last week, you know exactly where we're headed, but God doesn't want you to hide your testimony. He wants you to ride your testimony and hold it up and say, I overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony of what he has done for me. And the devil does his best work in secret, but it's time for us to shout the savior. Would you please welcome to the, to the stage here this morning, my friend, our guest, Dr. Michael Caparelli. And as he comes, if you've ever been to Rhode Island, you know when you go to Federal Hill, there's this upside down piece of fruit hanging off of it. And I, I've never seen this anywhere else, but I was in uh, Alabama of all places. And they had it on a pedestal here. We, it got broken and I did some damage maintenance. But I wanted to, this, so this is a famous like cornucopia fruitfulness thing for the Italian culture. So I'm calling this the official Paisan Goomba Award. He's my buddy, my friend. And your speaker today, let me set this down. I'm going to give him a big hug because I just deeply appreciate this man, Michael Caparelli. God bless you. Is, uh, is, Di is Diana here? Diana, are you here? Or she's probably helping Let in one of the... Let your mom know that, that Paul has the end of the curtain rod in the living room. <laughs> I got to tell you, there are two kinds of people in this life. There are people that bring happiness uh, wherever they go, and there are people that bring happiness whenever they go. And uh, your pastor is in that first group. He brightens my world. How many can say Pastor Paul brightens my world? I, I've, I've seen him down, but even when he's down, there's always that joy that Nehemiah spoke about, that strength. And uh, to have that in your atmosphere, it's contagious. Uh, if you're depressed at all, you spend a little time with the Conways, the tough Irish people with the smile on their face and the chins up. And uh, that, that's contagious. It gets on you, and I thank God for that. Thank you, Paul, for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I do want to introduce a couple of people to you. Uh, a man who saved my life at my second heart attack. I was punching a punching bag, and I just went to go punch the bag, and as I was about to punch it, I went down, and I took my second heart attack, which was the widow maker. My main artery was clogged 90%. Uh, this was two years after my first heart attack. Uh, a heart attack that two-thirds of the people don't survive. And uh, my brother from another mother, John Stebbin, who saved my life that day. <laughs> and my, one of my spiritual moms who travels with me to a lot of places, uh, she taught many years at Zion. She goes back to the days of 1950s Zion and the Dr. Leonard Hero. And uh, she even taught Pastor Paul in the 1980s. And that's... Uh, that's Sister Iris Pelly. Can you stand? Give a regal wave. Regal wave. 
Amen. Okay, can we stand up for the reading of God's Word? Open your Bible to John 5. We're still in the same story as last week. Uh, we've left the front end. We're on the back end. The lame man, uh, he paralyzed for many years. Now he's mobilized. He's going from a matted seat to mobile feet. And in John 5, after the healing, somebody say after. It's what you do after. It's what you do after the service. It counts. After the healing, the Bible says in John 5, 14, when you have it, say, pasta vajol. <laughs> in John 5, 14, it says, after this, Jesus found the man in the temple. And he said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Father, bless this word. Let he and she without, with ears, let them hear your word. Anoint my lips, but more importantly, anoint our ears. Help us to hear your word as spirit and as life, and let it bring the energia, the energy to our body to do what you've called us to do. Bless this word today. I pray, Lord, we've come out of a hurtful past. Raise our sights for a hopeful future. In Christ's name, amen. Gesundheit. This is a wonderful curtain rod. This is going to go right at the other end. What are you going to do with the other end of the curtain? Just, going to do this just like that? What do an airplane, a bicycle, and a born-again believer all have in common? They don't move forward in some serious trouble. Now, in our passage, Jesus says to the lame man, pick up your mat, and walk. The term for walk in the Greek, it's nothing fancy, very similar to English. It means to stay frontward. It means to move forward. It means to advance onward. The term walk is impregnated with this idea that your future is much more promising than your past. In the words of C.S. Lewis, there are far better things ahead of us than what we leave behind us. The prophet Haggai said, the latter days will be better than the former days. Now, I thank God for my history. We talked about our history last week, but it is not as pretty as my destiny. I thank God for the rearview mirror when I'm driving my car, I have the rearview mirror. I need to look back. It's important that you look into the rearview mirror. But car manufacturers have designed the windshield 50 times the size of the rearview mirror to tell you that where you are going is far more imperative than from where you are coming. Your future is bright. Your tomorrow is good. Amen? 
Now, if you've been through enough trauma in life, your anticipation of tomorrow may not be that bright. You may be waiting for the bottom to fall out. You may be expecting harm. That's why the prophet has to say, when he speaks the word of God in Jeremiah 29, 11, he doesn't just say, God is going to bless you. God is going to promise you. He actually has to talk to that fight, flight instinct inside of you and say, God is not going to harm you. Because we've been harmed. And when we've been harmed, we expect harm. Not to harm you, but to prosper you, to bless you, that you have a bright and a hopeful future. But like the lame man in the story, and this story is an epitome of the human condition, he's moving forward, and yet something happens where he falls backward, goes back to a familiar place. How many have gone back to familiar places? How many know what it means to go forward and fall backwards? Very difficult for us to escape the familiar, for us to, as a behavioral scientist, we study modus operandi, a person's MO. It's how FBI profilers in the behavioral science Quantico unit find serial killers. There's a modus operandi. Every one of you has an MO. You may not even be aware of your MO. If I spend enough time with you, I'll tell you, you probably wake up in the morning and some of you brush your teeth before you wash your face. Others wash your face before you brush your teeth. Some of you, when you walk, your right foot goes before your left foot. Others, it's your left foot before your right foot. You have an MO, and it's very difficult to escape that modus operandi. Habits are like comfortable beds. They're easy to crawl into, but they're hard to crawl out of. We just keep doing what we always did. God says, I got some possibilities for you, Mr. Lame Man. I want you to walk. He's going forward, and something pulls him backwards. Something brings him back to this familiar place. We go back. Why do we go back? What is it in us that makes us go back to what's familiar? Let me break it down for you this way. Let me land the plane right where you're living. This city slicker leaves the city, urban community, a lot of stress, a lot of hustle, bustle, moves away from Manhattan, moves to Montgomery, Alabama. He doesn't know anything about the country. He's left the city. He wants to keep the city behind him. And there he is in the country, and he moves next door to a farmer. At 3 a.m., he hears the sound of a cock crowing. He wakes up, what is that? I may have seen my cousin Vinny. <laughs> he hears the cock crow, he wakes up, and now every night he goes to sleep. He's tossing, and turning, he's anxious, he can't sleep. He finally packs his bags. He says, I'm going back to the city. I'm going back to what's familiar. I'm going back to what I know. He knocks on the farmer's door. The farmer says to him, what's going on? He says, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the city. I packed my bags. He says, your cock, it keeps me up all night. The farmer says, that's impossible. It only crows for about five minutes. He says, oh, but I wait all night, tossing and turning, anticipating the cock to crow. And when the future looks fickle and you're waiting for the bottom to fall out and it's unfamiliar territory and you're anticipating the next bad thing, you go back to the devil you know because it's better than the devil you don't know. Am I talking to anybody here? We go back to what's familiar. 
what we know, what, what we become acclimated to. In that familiar place, we can rest. There's no faith required. There's no mental activity. There's no intellect required. We just slip into autopilot mode. How many have made some drives in your life? Maybe even driving here. You don't even remember how you got here. How did I get here? You just do things secondhand. Just, just gets, it's easy. It's easy. I want to talk to you about your hopeful future. But I want to talk to you about the decisions that you're going to have to make and the decisions this lame man must make to walk, to move forward, to embrace a hopeful future. There are endless possibilities ahead for you. And his plan is not to harm you, but to bless you, to prosper you, to give you hope, and to give you a future. Thank God for your history. But it's not over. Don't put a period where there's a comma. Your history has groomed you for your destiny, and your destiny is much prettier than your history. You're going places. So look at your neighbor and say, you're going places. You're going places with Jesus. Now, there, there are three decisions, I believe, that are, that are buried in the soil of this passage. Three decisions that you're going to have to make. We'll do some excavating of the text this morning. Three decisions that you're going to have to make if you're going to leave that hurtful past and you're going to step into a hopeful future. If you're going to come out of the paralysis of being stuck in one position for 38 years and you're going to say, I'm believing God to do a new thing. I'm sick and tired of repeating the same song. My life is stuck on repeat. I want to keep going forward, and I don't want to fall backwards. Three decisions. Decision number one, you're going to have to resist what's predictable, because you want life to be Predictable. Your brain is continually making predictions. Your brain is a predictive engine. It loves to make predictions. Sometimes it makes predictions too soon. I watch a movie with my wife. She drives me crazy. Three minutes into the movie, she's guessing how it's going to end. I have to stop her and say, listen, appreciate your speculations, but let's gather a few more facts before we decide where this thing is going. She knows I'm a behavioral scientist, so she's always trying to show off her intuition to me. Like, the intuition is predicated upon gathering some patterns in facts before we arrive at speculation. She's always predicting. We predict. We want life predictable. We want a routine. It's comfortable for this man to go from a matted seat to now all of a sudden mobile feet. And now he's walking in territory he's never charted before. He's forging his way through regions he's never seen before. This is very uncomfortable. It's easier to go back to the mat. And going back to the mat, he's going back to a routine. It's a routine. You know, the Bible says this. It says, after Jesus found him sinning in the temple. What sin could he have been possibly committing in the temple? Biblical commentator William Barclay sheds wonderful light. If you're looking for a good commentator, commentary set, I've been reading it for 25 years, sheds light on what this sin in the temple could possibly be. 
He says, in the temple, on the outer courts, there were men that were begging religious constituents for money. Think about that. He healed the man. The man's going back to beg his row. He's going back to begging for change. He's going back to his lame mat. Jesus has to say to him, see, you're well. I made you well. Why are you going back to the mat? Because in that place, it is predictable. Three times a day, it's clockwork. There are no surprises. Three times a day, religious constituents show up in the morning to offer their prayers. They show up in the afternoon to offer their prayers. They show up in the evening to offer their prayers. And there he is. It's a predictable routine. He knows what time to show up. He knows the schedule. There are no surprises prizes, and you and I will go back even to the most painful places as long as it's predictable. Do you know that physical agony is less stressful than emotional uncertainty? Let me back this up with a science experiment. I could give you a bunch of them if we had time and you took one of my classes at North Point, but I'll just give you one. University of Colorado back in the 1970s conduct an experiment. They want to see what is more stressful, physical agony or emotional uncertainty. They take a group of participants. They hook up their brains to brain mappings. Brain mappings are sophisticated scans that show you different areas of the brain that are lighting up, that measure certain neurotransmitters, and their goal is to measure cortisol. That's the stress hormone. More specifically, to see when will cortisol spike? Will it be during physical agony or will it be during emotional uncertainty? Which is greater of the two? They put a game, computer game, before the participants. The goal of the computer game is to find the rock where the snake is not hiding. If they happen to unturn a rock or turn a rock over where there's a snake hiding, a shock, an electrical shock, they're zapped by the researchers with a shock. Not enough to kill them, but enough to make them uncomfortable. So the goal is to find, find the rock without the snake. What they learn by studying the brain mappings is the cortisol levels, the stress, is the highest. Not when the physical pain is the greatest, but when the uncertainty is the strongest. Not the moment of being shocked, at the moment of searching for the right rock looking for the safe place. The uncertainty. We, 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 don't, we don't want life to be uncertain. We want everything to be predictable. We want our safety nets. How many appreciate their safety nets? You know, for 16 years I've been preaching and not one single sermon have I ever looked at a note. Not one sermon. My head is a steel trap. I memorized my VIN number. My insurance agent has been selling insurance for 23 years. When I told him my VIN number, he looked at me like, are you serious? 16 years not looking at a note, yet I still have my notes right here. It's a safety net. I need something to fall back on. I need the routine. This man, he's going back to the routine. Life is too unpredictable. He has feet. Change is wonderful. Everybody thinks change is a lovely idea until it's time to make change. Everybody says freedom is wonderful. Liberty is exciting. I can't wait for my release date. I can't wait to leave this job. I can't wait to get out of this 
terrible relationship and then when freedom comes, we don't know what to do with it. We go back to former things. Everybody thinks change is lovely. I preach on change, I get hoots and hollers, everyone's excited, but when it comes down to actually making the change, <gasps> the matter see is a lot easier than the mobile fee. I know what to expect. Every day, three times a day, they show up, they make their prayers, they pass me by, they put money in my hat. Every, this is my schedule, this is my life, this is the life I've built. How many have seen Shawshank Redemption? Man's in prison all his years. Gets out of prison. He's finally free. Probably had dreams. Probably dreamt every day in prison of what it would be like to be free. He's free. He's finally free. And the freedom is overwhelming. I'd rather go back to what's predictable. You know, I've seen this early on in pastoring. I was invited to the home of a woman who was battered by her husband. Elder of the church invites me. We go, we pray for her, we spend hours counseling her. I make arrangements for her to find a place in a domestic violence shelter. She's got bruises all over her body. He's at work all the time, all the effort. And she stays. Why does she stay? Predictable. Painful, but predictable. She knows. This is the life I've built. There's no surprises. He wakes up at 6 a.m. He gets dressed at 6.30. He's out of the house. He comes back at noon for lunch. Dinner time, he returns. I make him dinner. He starts drinking around 6 o'clock. He's got the whiskey. He's got the vodka. 7 o'clock, he's drunk. 8 o'clock, he's beating me up. 9 o'clock, we're having makeup sex. 10 o'clock, we go to bed. Tomorrow morning, we do the same thing the next day. But you're telling me to leave? Where do I go? What do I do? What if I can't find a job? What, what, what if nobody accepts me? What, 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 if, what if I can never find love again? What if, I'll be, what if I die alone? What, what, what? We would rather have the physical agony than the emotional uncertainty. The man goes back to the temple, the outer courts. Jesus has said, I've come to show you a better way, yet you are returning to the beggar's way. I've show, I'm showing you a better life. Like you, you, you're going back to the beggar's life because the, the problems of being a pauper are easier for you to deal with than the pressures of being a prince. You become acclimated to crisis. When the crisis is over, you don't know what to do. I just read a book recently called First Rate Madness. It was all about leaders of the world who succeeded during times of crisis, people like Winston Churchill and even John F. Kennedy. And the leaders that did the best during crisis came out of tumultuous childhoods. But when it was normal times, Churchill was a wonderful leader, unbelievable prime minister during war. When the war ended, <laughs> like a lame duck. Some of us need a war to function. God change our inside change our disposition. Some of us need crisis to feel normal. We'll create crisis if there's no crisis. They're in the church of Jesus Christ, right now in this house, I hate to break the news to you, Pastor Paul, but you already know about it. There are peacemakers and there are troublemakers. <laughs> Look at anybody say, are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? 
There's a word for it in Italian. We call it ficanage. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a ficanage? Ficanage is a person that's just always making trouble. They're in everybody's business. They can't stay in their lane. They're going to cause trauma, turmoil. Why? Because there's so much turmoil on the inside that I got to create a semblance of harmony by establishing turmoil on the outside. Am I helping anybody? Any ficanages in the house? Pastor, I'm a ficanage, eh? I admit it, first time I'm realizing this about myself. I make trouble everywhere I go. In the story, he goes back to what's predictable, goes back to what's familiar, what he can see coming. Because we want safety. We heard the word last week given to us prophetically by our brother. We want a place to call a safe place. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. The only safety is in the arms of the loving Savior. All other safeties are illusions. A man's wealth becomes his fortress until the stock market crashes. These things become fortresses, illusions of safety. The only safety is in his presence. It goes back to what's predictable. The first decision you're going to have to make if you're going to embrace Jesus' life, the hopeful future he has for you, is you're going to have to resist what's predictable. Have you noticed when Jesus calls you to follow him, he don't say, follow me to Samaria. Follow me to Jerusalem. You're like, all right, I'll follow you. I know where we're going. All right, yeah, if you get lost, I can go this way. I know the road. I took this road before. He just says, follow me. He gives directions without giving details. It is the ultimate test of trust that we say, God, I need details. I need things to be predictable. What is the way? And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It goes back to what's predictable. Resist. Now listen, your routines are wonderful. I have routines, but God forbid your routines should become your idol. Routines keep us grounded. They're important. A schedule is good, but God forbid that schedule. God forbid your agenda should usurp the importance of his assignment. Am I helping anybody in here? What a test of trust this is. Those that come out of difficult backgrounds. Second, not only is it predictable, but it's pacifying. If you're sitting down for 38 years, the longer you sit, the harder it becomes to ever stand up again. You talk to any paraplegic, anybody sick with any type of ailment whatsoever, and if they're really honest, they'll tell you one of the greatest challenges of a condition is developing a lethargic disposition. A spirit of laziness will come upon you where your paralysis, it renders you powerless, and you're paralyzed in one area. You become in your mind paralyzed in every area. And I got news for you. Just because you can't do one thing doesn't mean you can't do anything. 
This man has been sitting for 38 years. You sit that long, it becomes very difficult to stand up and get going. Epinephrine is a hormone in the brain, a.k.a. adrenaline. It's what keeps you moving and grooving. Without epinephrine, you could never climb the Grand Canyon. You could never bike ride through the Rockies. You could never stroll through Central Park. That is the chemical that keeps you moving and grooving. But if you don't use it, you lose it. I think it's funny how we think we need energy for activity. Well, I'll get to the activity when I get a little energy. It's the activity that actually sustains the energy. You don't need energy for activity. You need activity for energy. Proverbs backs this up. It says, laziness will bring a deep sleep upon you. It's not that you're lazy because you're tired. You're tired because you're lazy. I'm hurting somebody here. I know I listen. Nobody wants to hear this anymore. No, you know, you know, a message like this can become troublesome because when we think about emotional healing, we think about the job of the physician, and we don't want to accentuate the responsibility we play in our own healing. We'd rather talk about how God can heal. But you and I have a role to play, and we got to get moving. And we may not be able to do all things, but we can do something. In the word of Martin Luther King, if you can't soar, then fly. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. Whatever you do, keep going. Keep moving. Whatever you do, don't just lay there. Don't just sit there. Because in sitting there, you are not resting. You are rusting. Your soul is getting rusty. I believe there's a word for our culture right now. There's a lackadaisical spirit that has come on our culture. It has come on the church. We're just waiting for someone else to take care of us. Waiting, the man, 38 years, sitting on a lame mat. I'm sure people came along and took care of him, just waiting for someone else. To, I love Jesus. Every healing, he always involves the efforts of the people he's healing. He's always telling them to do something. He will not do legwork for people that don't do footwork. He's always wanting to know, do you really want this? Because if you really, truly want this, there's going to be some steps you take, and I'll do my part, but I won't do my part until I see you do your part. Because you got to want this. Do you want to get well? Do you want to? Do you really want to be well? Do you really? I mean, that's what he's asking the guy. It must have been very insulting to hear. Like, of course I want to be well. What do you mean? I require healing. No, I don't ask if you require healing. I ask if you desire healing. This ain't a question of need. It's a question of want. Do you want it? Because if I give you what you need, but it's not something you want, chances are you're going to go right back to where you were. You're going to forfeit the blessing. You have to want this. Do you want to get well? And if you want it, you're going to get off your butt. Even if you're going to crawl, you're going to get moving. There's a role we play. God will do what God will do. He will, Oswald Chambers said, God will do all the things you cannot do, but he refuses to do the things he's constructed you to do. 
There's always a role. If you read through the Gospels, there's always some involvement. He's always eliciting the participation of those that receive his blessings. There's always something they're going to do. You can't just sit there. God will deliver you from the deepest pit, but he will not deliver you from your armchair. He won't deliver you from your art link letter. He will pull you out of a mess, but he will not pull you off that mat. Pick up your mat and walk. There's an involvement. You and I got to get moving. Epinephrine, it gets you moving. And the more you use it, the more it multiplies. And the more you don't use it, the more you lose it. Listen, I'm dealing with this. I had two heart attacks. I'm on beta blockers. I can't move the same way I used to move. You think I'm intense now? <laughs> Should have seen me when I was pastor of the church. As Iris, I was swinging from chandeliers. Beta blockers lower your adrenaline. You start to come up, it brings you down quick. But I, I, I'm limited. I'm, I'm handicapped in certain ways because of these beta blockers. But I realize, you know what? If, if I have to crawl to Lowell Assembly, somebody needs to say that next Sunday. If I got to crawl to church, I will crawl to church. I may not be upbeat walking through the doors, but I'm going to be there. All right, listen, right now somebody's watching this broadcast. I'm glad you stayed connected. I'm glad you're tuning in. I'm glad you're watching every week. But I pray that you would resist whatever it is that's anesthetizing you, whatever it is that's tranquilizing you you need the assembling together it is not good for you to be alone it's not good for you to be alone God wasn't talking about his presence he was talking about the company of someone Adam already had his presence Adam already had the presence of God what he was missing was the fellowship of man and I don't know what Adam was doing, but those behaviors were so maladjusted and bizarre that God actually stopped and said, it ain't good for this brother to be alone another minute. <laughs> I don't know if he's hitting his head up against a tree. I don't know if he's playing with his feces. Whatever he was doing, it was so strange. God said, hold up, hold one second. It ain't good for him to be alone another second. <laughs> he need, he's got worship. He needs fellowship. You have a master gland in your body. It's called the pituitary gland. It sits under your brain. They call it the master gland because it's the gland that's responsible for so much. It keeps your organs healthy. It gives you good sleep at night. It's what makes you feel emotionally stable. What activates the pituitary gland, one of the things that activates it is touch. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Touch. You need touch. You need touch so desperately. You need fellowship so desperately that if you were deserted on an island all by yourself, you would take a volleyball, you would paint a face on it, and you would call it Wilson. <laughs> Those that are watching, we love that you're connected through technology, but we invite you back into the church fellowship. I'm pastor, why am I losing my mind? Why do I feel depressed all the time? Why is my sleep not good? Because you haven't touched anybody in months. You've been alone. You've been isolated. There's studies done in prisons in South America where inmates are in solitary confinement for so long that they take objects and insert them into their rectums just to feel something. That's how bad we need. Uh, that was all off topic. Just, that's right from the Word of God, right from heaven. Amen? He goes back 
to what pacifies him, anesthetizes, tranquilizes him, puts him to sleep, dulls him. The third thing he goes back to, listen, being lame is painful. It is. And I don't want to undermine your pain at all, but I want you to get real this morning. And I'm going to get real with you. As painful as being lame is, it's not just painful, it's profitable. That man used his injury as his income. That man's condition became his livelihood. When Jesus takes away his pain, he is equally, it is tantamount to him taking away his means of gain, his income. People throw him money because he's lame. Not because he can sing a song, not because he's talented, not because he's a Kardashian. They throw him money because he's sick. His sickness is profiting him. And I know this is very tough for some of us to see. It's very difficult to look in the mirror and ask this question. But may I ask you the question, in what way is your affliction profiting you? Selah. Just think about it. Well, how's it profiting you? Oh, that's ridiculous. This, there's no profit in this. This is all pain. I can tell you as a behavioral scientist that we're, as humans, Pavlov's dog, don't let me get into study after study, we are always incentivized by something. There's always a benefit. We are accountants at the core. We're continually doing audits on expenses versus assets. We're continually seeing, does it make sense? Does this add up? What am I getting out of this? Even the most dysfunctional situations, if you stay in that situation, if you're stuck there and you can't get out of there, you got to get real, look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the question, what am I getting out of this? Am I getting pity? Am I getting attention? Am I getting money? Am I getting the ability to control someone else so I don't have to look at my own issues? What am I getting out of this? How's this profiting me? That's a tough question to answer. Nobody wants to hear this message. We'd rather have a swan song that says how difficult my life is. Yes, it's difficult, but if you're staying there, you're stuck and you have a better way, yet you keep going to the beggar's way, then it stands to reason that there is something in this situation that is profiting you. We don't go where there are not carrots waved. Jesus is continually waving carrots. Follow me and you'll have eternal life. Appealing to the accountant inside of us. How's it profiting you, your affliction? How? What incentive are you getting out of this? Because you're going to have to figure out what that incentive is, what that profit is, and let go of it. Now listen, I'm not just the president, but I'm also a client. I grew up as a child very depressed. Started when I was about 11. The depression was so bad I was in and out of mental hospitals on lithium, Depakote, Prozac, Paxil, Clonopin, you name it. Just a guinea pig. Suicide attempts, a cord hanging from a pipe in my basement bedroom. I, I planned to hang myself. It wasn't just a cry for help. It was a real deal plan. And when I was 18, the pain was so bad and my history, my medical history was so real that I applied for SSI and I was approved the first time. Right away, got SSI, $750 a month, free medical insurance, uh, free YMCA membership, food stamps, assistance with paying the electric, 
I had an apartment on the east side of Providence, all the benefits, and then work under the table, cash. And then Jesus heals me. Ultimate game changer. Completely heals me. There's a process. I still struggle with spells of melancholy. They come on me, but they don't stay. They leave. I know how to navigate through it. I'm more at ease with it than I've ever been. I know how to ride out the waves. I don't even fight them. I ride them out. I know how to deal with it now. There's a grace and a wisdom in handling these melancholy spells that come on me. But I still collected the check. I still collected it for a while, probably two years. Don't be sending this, this sermon to the government, all right? <laughs> I better not get a letter all right, from the IRS or whoever else next week. So I, 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 I'm, I'm still collecting the check, and I'm putting a lot of time into the church volunteer because I'm only working under the table a little, you know, a few hours. It's all I need to work. Volunteering at the church, hanging out with Pastor Paul, trucking along with him everywhere and his crazy antics. Crazy. Running around supermarkets in pajamas while I videotape him. I'm not lying. That's a true story. I'm there at the church, raking leaves, and I'm there volunteering, and Scott Axman, who's a pastor on staff, approaches me and says, you're here all the time. Don't you work? I said, no, I'm sick. <laughs> what do you mean you're sick? You're 18 years old. Well, I said, I, you know, I, I'm depressed. You just gave a testimony last week in church that God healed you of depression. So how are you paying for your bills? I said, oh, I get SSI. He went, oh, okay. <laughs> now I see. You're not giving up the pain because giving up the pain means you give up the gain. The pain, you've used pain. We have a society that has learned to use pain for gain. I'm not saying every person on SSI is a fraud. I'm not saying that people don't need assistance. I agree with all of that. I agree with many social programs. But what I am saying is there is a manipulative spirit. Paul says, defraud not the brethren. Stop cheating people. Stop making people think you're harder off than what you really are. Stop using your situation for your benefit. And now you're stuck in the situation because you don't want to lose the benefits. This man doesn't want to lose being lame because if he loses being lame his lameness is his livelihood how's it profiting you what advantage are you getting out of this I always and I don't counsel much you think please don't ask me for counseling after right everybody will you counsel me I know what I know but I don't have the temperament for counseling I'm Italian I'm gonna just tell you to get over it I am I'm I train counselors. I do. I do lay counseling training. But me to go one on one with the same people here in the same store. Ah! <laughs> I, I don't have. The, it's a temperament. A counseling is not just a skill set. No, it's a temperament. I don't have it. I got the patience of a retired doctor. <laughs> anyway, worship team, can you come up? How many believe God's got some better things? But he's going to deal with that part of us that keeps going back to beggar things. Beggarly things. A part of us that just keeps returning. The sin this man is guilty of, Jesus said, this sin you're committing is the sin of going back to former things. 
And Jesus says to him, see, you are well. How do you not see I heal you? How do you not see life is different now? See, you have feet. You didn't have feet before. You, had a, you, you, you were paralyzed. This is in your head. The crisis in the home is over, but the crisis is continuing in your head. You want to be delivered from a reality, but you really need to be delivered from a mentality because the reality has changed, but the mentality is still here. See? You're well. And he warns him. He says, see to it that a sin, I'm sorry, not a sin, see to it that something worse doesn't come upon you. You keep playing with this, something worse is coming upon you. What could be worse than being legless, being helpless, hopeless? What could be worse than a paralysis of the body, a paralysis of the mind, paralysis of the soul? Proverbs says, physical sickness a man can recover from. A crushed spirit? Hopeless, helpless? Can't get out of your own way? Who can endure? The worst thing, worse than being physically sick, mentally, spiritually, emotionally sick, mentality. It's one thing to be victimized. It's another thing to be a victim and to continue a victim. Shake, shake us, God. Change us. I'm going to tell you a quick story, and I'm going to invite Pastor Paul up here. It's a, it's a hypothetical story they tell in the, the world of behavioral science. Behavioral scientists often do twin studies. You can learn a lot about nature and nurture through twin studies. And these two brothers, one's optimistic, the other's pessimistic. Same home. It amazes me the kids that come out of the same home and the outlooks. <laughs> same home, same experiences. One's optimistic, one's a pessimistic. So the behavioral scientists say, let's, let's play around with the externals. Let's play around with the, the environmental conditions, the realities, to see if this affects them at all. So they decide that on the birthday of the two brothers, they're going to show up at the home of the pessimistic brother and bring him something he said he wanted many times, a new bicycle, an expensive bike. So they bring the bike to the pessimist. Opens the door, he sees the bike, stops for a minute, looks at it and says, how am I going to park this thing? Don't they know I'm clumsy? Thanks a lot for nothing. You know anybody like that in your life? Well, the optimist, brother, they show up in his house <laughs> in a big truck. They empty the truck, pile of horse manure right in front of his door. And the optimist comes outside. He looks at the horse manure. He stops. He pauses, and he goes, where's the pony? It's a mentality, not a reality. It's how you're looking at it. It's how you're seeing it. I pray this morning every horse manure 
Every stinky situation in your life, every time it comes to you, you wouldn't get nervous, you wouldn't panic, you wouldn't fight, flight, freeze, fawn. You would stop and say, if there's manure, there's a pony somewhere. If there's a trouble, then there's a Savior who overcame that trouble. I see the trouble. I'm not an idiot. I'm not some hyper-faith guy that denies reality. There's trouble here. Yes, Goliath is nine foot tall. I'm not going to change that fact. But there's a God who's bigger than nine feet. If I see manure, I'm going to ask, where's the pony? Every trouble in your life, I want you to say, where's the pony? Stand up with me. Every single trouble that comes, I want it to be confirmation that something good is around the corner. Every problem that it wouldn't run you scared, you wouldn't be afraid, you wouldn't transition into survival mode, but you would say, this problem is an opportunity for God to reveal His glory. Change was in my head, God. Fix my anticipator. Fix it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> you know, the other story about a cripple in the New Testament is the man lowered down in front of, of Jesus in his home. And as he's there, he's about to, he tells the man, he's like, pick up your mat and walk. And, and, they say, who, he said to him, first thing he goes, not pick up your mat. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, who does he think he is? You can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. He says, can I ask you a question? What's easier for me to say to this guy who's crippled, get up and walk, or for me to tell him his sins are forgiven? But that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin, pick up your mat, rise, and walk. Here's the truth of the matter is, most of you in this room, it would be easier for you to believe that God could heal a cripple than that he could look at you and say, I'm going to make you whole and forgive your sin. And this whole church and this whole message today was about our steps, our footwork that, God, that we need to do in order for God to do legwork. You see, you don't just show up at church and get changed. You have to grow. You, th this whole thing of know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference is a part of what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? Some of you, you've been divorced for years, but you haven't left the grief of that. That's why we have divorce care on a regular basis in this church. And if you're in that situation, you need to call up the church. We would love to put you in touch with Ellen Wright, and we would love to get you plugged in there. You, some of you have lost people and you haven't lost the grief. That's why the next step for you is grief share, to get in there and surround people to know that there's a good way to grieve. Some of you have never been to our next class. You may be saying, well, I'm new here. I've never been here. I don't know what to do. You need to fill out that, that connect form, fill it out. And starting in September, we do a, a four-week class called Next. And we show you, you know what? You are not defective. You're designed. God has a purpose for you. This is what God's doing. This church is just one big room filled with a bunch of former cripples who are getting up and walking and following wherever Jesus would lead them. God has a plan for your life. You may have had an accidental parent situation, but there is no such thing as an accidental birth. God has a purpose for your life. There's no fingerprint the same, no snowflake alike. God's plan for this church is to be fruitful, to grow. And so as I was sitting here this morning, as, as 
Dr. Caparelli mentioned, Sister Iris Pelly that was with him here was not only his mentor, she was my mentor. She was my Bible college professor, but I didn't just learn the word of God from her. I learned what it was like to, to be able to hear a word from God and to give it, what it was like to pray until you had nothing left to pray for, and then you prayed some more. And little do you know, for many of us here newer to this community, this church, she used to be an integral part of this church. And while she was sitting at one point, she turned to me with some tears in her eyes and she said to me, Paul, this church's foundation is filled with promises, prophetic words, and prayers. And God has no time limit. There are prayers and tears that have been shed in this building that started in the white building, went to the other building, that have come and been poured out over here in this building and have yet to begun. We have not, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has. You can dream your craziest dream, hope your craziest hope, and you're undershooting what God can do. But do you know what that requires from us? Steps of faith. It means that we get up off of the mat and we begin to get moving with our feet. And we say, you know what? It might not be comfortable. It might be easy. It's really comfortable. Like Mike said, it's a, a, a comfortable bed. It's easy to get into. It's tough to get out of. But I'm going to ask Sister Pelly to come forward. And here's what we're going to do. Two things. I'm going to pray for her that every promise of God for us will be yes and amen. This is a church of a thousand people. We just haven't hit that number yet. This is a church of hope where people will be healed. We are on our way towards that. This is a place where people are saved. It might not be the church that you have in your mind, but you know what? Jesus didn't say, direct me. Jesus said, follow me. And if you'll follow God and stop following your idol of what a thing should be and how much and how little you should be in it, and you would begin to get in a small group and you would be getting into a prayer group and you would begin to say, God, help me find a need and meet it. Help me find a hurt and heal it. And help me find the joy of serving because if you find the joy of serving, you will never want to be served again. We're going to change the Merrimack Valley and we have the best is yet to come. And a, pro, a prophetic word, a prophetic prayer of forward thinking means it isn't here yet, but we'll be there. Look down at the ground real quick, if you would. Look up at the ceiling. Do you know where this started in 1947 with three people in Haverhill, in, in Lowell? in Lowell, in a little white building. I remember Mark, Mark, you and I hopped in and we did that legacy tour. I was like, where did we start? And I looked at that building and I'm like, oh, that was a rough start. And then drove down to the other building, which another church right now is doing ministry and said, man, that was a good step. And then came up to here. Listen, we're in a building debt free. That demands respect, but it requires destiny. God has a destiny for us, and you're a part of that. And it's time that we move from talking about what we hope for to following Jesus and walking to what he wants. Amen? I'm going to ask her to come forward down here and pray, and then I'm going to ask you if there is an area in your life that you need to find freedom in, a couch or a bed that you're stuck in, that you need to get up, a mat you need to pick up and rise, that you would come forward and the band's going to play a song and you would make that moment and say, God, I may not feel it, but if I have to crawl to it, there's a destiny for me. I want it for you. And we'll come forward. And as we sing that song, we'll make that our closing prayer before God. Amen. This is a woman of God. 
And she was here in the 1950s, way long time ago. And here she is again. Let's, let's, let's lock our hearts in this prayer. Amen? I, I feel like I, I like to tell you something that is forever fixed in my mind from going to that white church. And that is uh, Pastor Guyerson, before every service, that foyer was filled and they often people come in and greeting but once you stepped inside that door Pastor Guyerson had been there for a long time and you know what his main prayer was? Souls. That was a calling on his life to pray for souls. That was a burden that God gave him that's buried in this foundation. You're not starting something over here. You're standing on something that was the foundation. There's been different emphasis through the years. God leads in ways and builds. The growth process is the healing process, but I will say, and I, and I think Pastor will agree with it, the emphasis in the middle of that now is a harvest. You're going to grow in the middle of the harvest. You're, you're equipped to a point but you're going to grow with the harvest. So anybody can come forward. Anybody can be healed. Anybody can, be, can grow. But our main agreement today is for the cripple, the lame, spiritually, mentally, emotionally out there, it's going to stumble into this church. Can you raise your hand with me? I will never forget. I did, I did services in the church where I would do a week at a time. And that man would be in his church a good part of the day with a groaning in his heart. That was the foundation. Father, we thank you that those prayers are operative. Prayers are eternal. They're bottled up. Thank you, Father, that they're bottled up and there is an altar in the heavenly realm. And those vials of prayers are tipped out at different times in history when God unlocks a season. And a season of harvest is right upon us. Hallelujah. Pastor, they're out there. There's people right this afternoon that are saying, where is there any help for me? There's hearts that the preparations of the heart are of the Lord. 
Hallelujah. We agree with you, Pastor, that some saw some water, but God gives the increase. And there are a multitude of people out there right at the door whose eyes are going to be opened by the touch of the master. Hallelujah. And they're going to walk. They're going to be healed inwardly and outwardly, not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of the Lord. Don't ever, when this harvest come in, say it was us. We are participants in what has been years of faithful people through dry places and, and discouraging places and have remained faithful to the word of God and to the call on their lives to stand with the church when it was in trouble, to believe for the building of this building, to pay their tithe and their money throughout the years. We're not it. God is it. It isn't this generation that's bringing the harvest. It's the sowing of generations that's going to be part of the harvest. They're part of it, but only part of it. Praise God. And right now we agree. And we agree together. I agree with every tear. I agree with every time the Holy Spirit came upon Pastor Frank and he laid on the floor and he cried out for souls. Souls, God, souls, that people might not go to hell, God, that people might not go to hell. Oh, God, we agree with every sermon that's been preached in the past. We agree with every prophetic word that has been said. We agree with every offering that has been taken for the building of a building that can contain and help the harvest to come in. We thank you for every person's faithfulness, oh God, through the dry times. We thank you for every pastor that had to plow through the hard times, oh God, and remain faithful. But we thank you because you are the Lord of the harvest. Hallelujah. We pray for laborers. To, the laborers are being trained for the harvest. Hallelujah. People are getting up off their mat because there's a harvest coming. Hallelujah. The vats are going to be full of, of wine and the the storehouses are going to be full of grain and the bride is going to be made ready. Praise the name of Jesus. He is coming before he comes in bodily form. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for the harvest. The harvest is coming. Praise the Lord. The harvest is ready. Listen. We've got to change our gauge, gaze. Oh, I want, I, I, I have permission to do this? Yes, okay. I always listen to the men. It's the safest road home. <laughs> Praise God that are over us. Praise the Lord. I, I want to warn you. If you sit down just for a minute, I think. 
I want to warn you to watch your eyes. We're taking too much in all around with your eyes and your ears and the opinions. The safest lift, the Bible says two things. Lift up your eyes and look to the harvest. It's white, all ready to harvest. And lift up your eyes unto Jesus. When these things come to pass, because his coming draws near. God knows everything. God knows who's in the White House. God knows everything that's undercover. God's going to do what God is going to do, keeping your own lane and your eyes up to Jesus and your part in the harvest. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. 
tell you what, we, we normally have a tight schedule and we keep to it, but I feel like we've been to church today. I feel like I've been to church. It's just good. It's good. God's worthy of it. God's worthy of it. I believe it. God is going to give us a harvest and we stand on the shoulders of greatness that has gone before us and that will always demand and receive credit and, and, and respect. And uh, I was thinking the other day, I've, uh, I've put in some carpet with, with you and we've put some paint on the wall and stuff like that, but this we're standing on a building that was built and paid for completely debt-free, and that demands respect. And that is that you're standing in the substance of faith. Faith is the substance of thing hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And I believe the same is going to be with the harvest. God is gonna bring in people who have a need and it's gonna be met with Jesus Christ. Their lives are gonna be changed. And my encouragement for you is to say, God, what's my part? How can I help? How can I help? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word. We pray that you would bless and we ask that you would go with us that we would follow the cloud into our home, into our neighborhoods, into our life. Lord, I ask that you would just watch over our tomorrow as we walk, Lord God, with our mat and our testimony under our arm. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. I encourage you to get out there. The best thank you you could give Mike would be to grab that book. If you're a reader and if you know someone that would benefit from it, grab it. Those are great works and uh, encourage you to follow him on Unmuted. And let, just thank you so much. God bless you as you go. I'm going to my, my cookout where I'm going to have a Ghana dance-off. And I'll be bringing back a prize next week, I'm telling you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Lowell Assembly's online services. If you missed any portion of today's sermon and you want to catch it again, you can do that by going to lowellag.org and hitting past messages or by searching Lowell Assembly of God on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. We'll see you next week.